Hey, welcome to City Light Church. This is our Sunday morning gathering. We scatter throughout the week. We gather on this day to hear from God, be together, sing and celebrate, and uh, always a joy to be with you. My name is Gavin Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I would invite you to open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17 and verses 7 through 10. That's where we will be this morning. For the first few years of City Light, we're coming up on three years. Our goal has been to preach through one of the Gospels, that is the biographies of Jesus found at the beginning of your New Testament, from Christmas until Easter. And so kind of our MO, we start in Christmas, we look at the, uh, uh, the birth of Jesus in the Gospels. We continue to track through the life, teaching, ministry of Jesus until Easter, wherein we look at the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and we spend the rest of the year in some other books of the Bible. And so last year we started in the book of Luke. We made it through about 15 chapters, and this year we are picking up where we left off. We're not going to teach every verse. Um, We're trying to take a little faster pace, one sermon out of every chapter of the book of Luke, Luke, just so we can kind of keep pace with the story. Um, one of the things you're going to see in the Gospels is that they tell a story. And uh, we, we kind of want to go slow and get every verse. We kind of want to go fast. It's like watching a movie over the course of six months by watching it 20 minutes you know, every 10 days. You kind of lose the plot. So uh, we're trying to dip into one unit in every chapter. We encourage you to read through the rest of the chapter in your city group or in your personal devotion. And today, today we are in chapter 17. I want to, I want to take a look at... An often overlooked passage wherein Jesus talks about the life of a Christian as a life of service. A life of service. So to walk with Jesus means to be a servant. So if you've been here the last two weeks, yes, last week we talked about money and giving, and this week we're talking about serving. And so there should be some seats freed up next week. If you do come back, please bring a friend. Um, planning on thinning this place out a little bit. Honey, I thought this was the fun church with donuts. Well, I don't know. They got serious this year. But uh, no, really giving uh, is a great gift and serving is a great gift. It's God's great way of um, freeing up our hearts from the idols, the selfishness that are there, and to really give us true and lasting joy. So we're going to talk about um, serving out of Luke 17. Let me start by saying I love Chick-fil-A. Anyone else love Chick-fil-A? Of course you love Chick-fil-A. Especially if you're a Christian. Christians love Chick-fil-A. I don't know why that is. There's like a, vo- a verse in Leviticus somewhere about thou shalt love Chick-fil-A. It's so weird. Um, anyway, of course we love Chick-fil-A. Um, I noticed that they're going to have a new Chick-fil-A restaurant at 74th and Dodge. And so my social media blew up with the red chicken head for the last four days because everyone's thrilled. Um, you know... I love Chick-fil-A, but, but here's the thing with me and Chick-fil-A. I might not love Chick-fil-A for the same reason that you love Chick-fil-A. I remember when they first came to Omaha and everyone freaked out about Chick-fil-A coming to Omaha and social media lit up and there's newspaper articles. And I think people showed up to the site where they were going to have the Chick-fil-A and like camped out before they poured the foundation to the building. And so the contractors are showing up like, excuse me, you're going to have to move your tents. We need to like pour the foundation. And I'm thinking, you guys, you could just drive to Kansas City. It's three hours. You get a Chick-fil-A. Like, it would be quicker and easier and uh, require less urban camping. Anyway, people freaked out about Chick-fil-A. So I thought I'd go see what all the hype was about after the hype had died down and I only had to wait one hour for my sandwich. And I got my sandwich. And you know what my first impression was of the Chick-fil-A sandwich? Meh. It's okay. Like, it was good. It wasn't bad. I like Chick-fil-A 
chicken sandwiches, but it was, it was fried chicken, white bread, and a pickle. Like, it, you know, it's fine. It didn't change my life. It didn't like, you know, Holy Ghost didn't fall. Ah, and this kind of, it's just like, it's a chicken sandwich. It's fine. But then I discovered the magic of Chick-fil-A when I went up for an extra packet of Polynesian sauce, and I talked to the lady, said, can I have some Polynesian sauce? She said, absolutely. And I said, thank you. And you know what she said? It's my pleasure. I like that. I thought, I really like that. Then I go back for my second and third Diet Coke, and the young man behind the counter, I say, can I have some more Diet Coke? And he says, yes. And I say, thank you. And what does he say? It's my pleasure. I thought, I think this is a thing. I think this is, a, this is like a thing here. It's their pleasure thing. It's, it's a thing. And I thought it was a thing. And so when the young man came to bust our table, I was like, Sarah, watch this, watch this. Uh, thanks for busting our table. You know what he said? It's my pleasure. I love that. That's the magic of Chick-fil-A. I go, I'll tolerate the pickle and the chicken sandwich just to hear. They're so joyful. And the thing about a Chick-fil-A employee is when they say it, I believe them. They're so sincere. I think they get pleasure from serving me. Like when I'm walking up for my fifth Diet Coke, they're like, yes, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Ask me, ask me, ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm like, can I have some more Diet Coke? It would be my pleasure. I love that. I absolutely love that. That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to check in with you guys this morning. Just kidding. In the book of Luke, since chapter 9, we've been watching Jesus. He's walking from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he knows this is his final journey. Uh, destination, the capital city. He knows that this journey is going to end with him on a cross to serve the world to pay for our sins. And it's on this journey that really the majority of the book of Luke shows up. It's all as they walk along. Jesus is giving the most um, robust, lengthy, significant teaching on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And in this chapter, we dip in. And what Jesus is going to say is that to be a follower of Jesus means to be a servant of God. It means we're going to serve. Um, you know, I think the people in the world that should be the most privileged and joyful about serving more than a Chick-fil-A employee is a Christian. Is a Christian. Think about it. A Christian is someone who says, man, I have a God who left heaven and came to earth to wash the feet of men. I have a God who, who left glory to come down and take the mess of sin that I had created and to serve me by paying its penalty on a cross. We have a God who came to our planet and said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Man, with a God like that, how can I not but serve that God and serve others like that God? Would it not be my pleasure? My pleasure. What I want to do with our text today is, um, uh, I'm like three pages into my notes and I haven't looked at it. I'm excited about this text. Um, Jesus tells his parable, 7 through 10. 7, 8, and 9, he's telling the story. Verse 10, he gets to the punchline, and he's going to flip the script. And so let me just briefly um, explain the, the parable, and then I want to preach this application of verse 10 into our church. Because as I think about our church, I, I really want this sermon to shape us, church. I want us to be a, a serving people, not because it's the right thing to do, not because it's the Christian thing to do, but because it would be our privilege, because we have a God who is a servant God, and he has made us his servants, and it is our privilege. And so uh, verses 7 and 9 go 
like this. Thank you, Mark, for reading it. Great job. Essentially, Jesus says, imagine that, that um, you're a master and you've got a servant and he works out in the field and he finishes his job and he comes in from the field and, and he puts his hands behind his head and his feet up on the table and says, what's for dinner, boss? You owe me one. You're now in my debt. I did my work. And so I take my steaks medium rare. Please don't overcook it. I'd love a nice cold IPA. Get some brownies in the oven. If you could start my bubble bath, that would be great because you owe me one because I served you. He says, no. Servants serve because they're servants. They aren't owed anything. And then he flips the script in verse 10 and he says, so you, as a servant of God, when you serve God, you just say, look, I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done what was my duty. God is not in our debt. He doesn't necessarily owe us anything. We serve because we are servants. Let me give you three points to application. Very simple this morning. There are uh, like fill-in-the-blank notes. I've been taking my cues from Pastor Doug, trying to get more organized. And uh, so you're welcome for that. Here it is. Point number one um, that I want to press into our church from this text is this. Very simply, point one, obey God. Obey God. You might say, well, why start there? Well, it's in the text. What does he say? When you have obeyed all that you have been commanded. And so as we talk about serving God and the heart attitude with which we serve God, we have to start with the the topic of obeying God. You might be thinking, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. It's 2016. It's not hip to talk about obeying God anymore. We don't talk about holiness in church. Well, let me just real talk for a second, say, listen, we're going to jettison what's popular, hip, and cool, and we're going to talk about what Jesus says. And he says, obey God. When you've done all that I have commanded you, when you obey God, he just assumes that we're going to do it. He says, when you obey God, not if. The idea of being a follower of Jesus is someone who obeys Jesus. And notice he says, when you do. He doesn't say, when you've, com- when, when you've memorized all that I've commanded you. When you've sat in a circle with your city group friends over tea and coffee and just thought about all the implications of what it might look to maybe someday possibly obey or tell other people to obey, or let's just go back to the icebreaker part. Like, or even say, um, when you have memorized in the Greek and Hebrew the original meaning and implications to the first century listener and what that might, when you've written it, says, no, 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 when you've done it. In the English, you read it, and you, when you obey God. And so I just have to start by asking the question, do you obey God? Do you desire to obey God? Do you know what God commands? Do you seek to obey God? Obedience in your life, holiness with your life. Church, I want us to obey God. Now, I have to say, some of you are squirming in your seat, maybe for a couple of reasons. Maybe some of you are like, I don't obey God. And so you just need to hear that. But I hope some of you are maybe uncomfortable with me actually saying, obey God. And here's why. If I've done my job as a preacher of the gospel, what should be going off in your mind right now is, isn't that the whole point of Jesus? Every week you preach that it was about Jesus' obedience, not my own, that earns my right standing with God. Isn't it true that the central and paramount teaching of Scripture is that Jesus is our substitute in his obedient life and penalty death so that we can know God by grace and not by works, by his good gift and not by our effort and our obedience? And if you're thinking that, let me say, yes, great. That is so true. That is the central message of the Christian gospel is that we don't have a list of to-dos. We primarily have a substitute. The Savior, the man Jesus Christ who obeyed God perfectly in our place. That is the gospel. 
and we obey God. We obey God. Here's the the distinction, the clarifying point I want to make this morning. Our obedience to God has nothing to do with earning. Jesus' obedience was about the earning. Our obedience is about honoring the one who earned God's favor on our behalf. Do you see the difference? Jesus does the earning, we do the honoring. Jesus came and obeyed God the Father in every single way, and he did so in our place. And because of his obedient life and penalty death, we know God by grace. And our obedience to God is no longer about earning, but it is about honoring. It's about honoring God. Here's how this works. God saves you through the gospel, and more and more and more you start to love God. You start to appreciate God. You start to worship God, and you start to honor God by obeying God in what he says. That's what Jesus said. What did he say? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. That's how it works, and it always works in that order. Love makes way for obedience. Obedience never leads to loving relationship, but loving relationship always leads to obedience. If you love Jesus, you'll obey his commandments. I've seen it happen in my own life. I no longer um, try to honor God with my finances because I'm afraid he might punish me if I don't. I have no fear of that. I want to honor God with my finances Because I have already received the love, attention, affection, and adoration of God through the person of Jesus. And he has become my treasure. He's greater than any toy or trinket to me, any future retirement, any vacation. Man, I love God more than any of that. And the love produces in me an obedience. And it's not about earning, but it is about honoring. I fight sin. I don't bat a thousand, but I want to I want to live a life of integrity. I want to honor God. I want to read the book. I want to pray. I want to serve other people. I I, I want to seek their good. I don't do it so that God will look down on me and say, great job. I now like you. No, I do it because God already likes me because Jesus did all that on my behalf. God's earning leads to our honoring. I want to honor the Savior who earned my salvation. So um, City Light, I, I just want to say I want us to be a church where it's okay to talk about obeying God. It's not anti-gospel, it's the fruit of the gospel. Jesus' perfect substitutionary obedience to the Father wells up in us a greatness and a love for God that bears fruit in obedience in our own lives. Do you obey God? You seek to obey God. Think about your words, your wallet, your your website usage. Um, Do you obey God? I want us to be a church where it's okay to to desire to actually live out holiness in our life? Would we champion that in each other's lives? Would we talk about it in our city group? Would we fight sin, love God, seek to honor him in any way? Would that be your greatest aspiration for 2016? Man, I want to honor God in obedience in every area of my life. So this morning, as we talk about the heart attitude of a servant of God, it starts with obedient. Number one, we obey God. When you have done all that I have commanded. Point number two, equally simple, buckle up, serve God. Point one, obey God. Point two, this is why I earned the big bucks this week, got real creative. Point two, serve God. It's just, it's in the text. It says, uh, what does it say? Let's read the text. Verse 10, it says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, obedience, say we are what? Unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. What does a servant do? A servant serves. It's our identity. 
Listen, when you become a Christian, you get all sorts of new identities. It's not just about being saved, you were headed to hell, now you're headed to heaven. That is true, but it's so much more about that. God creates in you a new creation in Christ Jesus. It means a lot of those things. One new identity is that you are a child of God. You get all the benefits of calling dad your father. Loving relationship. Another identity, you become an heir to the kingdom of God. That means you stand to inherit all that is God's with God in eternity. Uh, you become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are, you are God's beloved. All these things are true of you. These are new identities. And one new identity that the New Testament gives us is we become God's servants. We serve God. And listen to this. We serve Jesus primarily because he first served us. We have a God who serves his people. That's incredible. Jesus comes to the earth, and why did he come? He came to serve. Quoted at the beginning, he said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so God comes to our planet, and he washes feet. And Jesus heals the sick, and he raises the dead, and he preaches the word, and he teaches his followers, and he does so to serve us. And then he goes to a cross, and he suffers and dies in our place for our sins, and he does so to serve us. And then he rises again from the grave to take away our sins and to give to us righteousness and to send the Holy Spirit. And he does so, why? To serve us. We have a God who has and does serve us. He serves us. And we, in return, get the joy and privilege of being God's servants. We serve the God who served us. That's our identity. Fast forward in the the New Testament, the Apostle Paul introduces himself as a servant of God, like it's his middle name. My name is Paul, servant of God, right? A servant of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Timothy, our brother, the saints greet you. It's just who he is. It's so ingrained in his identity. He knows that he is now a servant of God because Jesus Christ himself has served him. We are God's servants, and so we serve God. I'll make it real practical for us this morning. Uh, two very simple ways that we can serve God. How do we become God's servants? How do we serve God? Number one, we serve God by serving other people. We serve God by serving others. Jesus says, they will know you are Christians, how? By your love for one another, the way you treat one another. Mark chapter 10, two of Jesus' best buddies are arguing. Who's greater? Who's going to be the greatest? What does Jesus say? Man, whoever would be great among you would be a servant. He says, you want to win? You want to be great? Greatness in the kingdom of God isn't measured by status. It's measured by service. You want to be great in the kingdom? You serve each other. You lay down your life for each other. You serve one another. City Light, I want us to be a church that serves one another and serves other people. Right? What does that mean? Very simple. We go out of our way to help each other and help other people. We inconvenience ourselves that other people's lives might be more convenient. Someone needs help moving? No one wants to help move. It's horrible. We're the first to sign up. Someone short on the bills at the end of the month, we write a check. It means we don't think about serving, we don't pray about serving, we don't sit in a circle and talk about serving, we don't just preach sermons about serving, we serve. It's not rocket science, right? You need an example? Think about a waiter or a server at a restaurant. What is their job? Their job is to meet your needs. A good server sees your needs before you even see them. So I feel really bad for any server that gets me at a restaurant because I have like an insatiable appetite for Diet Coke when I go out. Um, I'm, I'm like through three glasses before they even come with the menus. It's, uh, it's really a problem. 
honey, I think our pastor likes aspartame. He does, and I'm working on that. <laughs> Doug says it's not good for me, but I, whatever. The Lord shows grace for that. Anyway, but a good server will see that I'm running low on Diet Coke, and I'll never have to ask. And so they see the need, they anticipate the need, and then they respond to the need. That's what a servant does. City Light, I want us to be a church that sees needs, anticipate needs, and responds to needs before people even ask us or make those needs known. And I just want to commend some of you guys in the church. You guys are servants. It's incredible. Um, when you donate coats to um, refugees in our city, you're seeing a need. You know that it's going to be 7,000 degrees below zero in January, and refugees from Asia and Africa don't know about that, and so you anticipate their need, and you buy a coat. Great job. When we serve other people, we serve God. We see needs. We respond to needs. Uh, second way that we serve God, we serve people, number one. Second thing we do is we, we serve as church. The church is really important to Jesus. After all, Jesus gave his life for the church. And so we serve Jesus by serving his church. Heard a great analogy one time from another preacher. It wasn't mine, it was his, but it goes like this. Um, we will either treat the church like a hotel or a house. You know the difference? How many of you, when you go to a hotel, like pick up after yourself, make your bed, clean the bathroom, and hope to leave it better than you found it? Boy Scouts don't even do that, right? We walk into a hotel room, and all of a sudden, we become instant slobs. We do things in a hotel we would never do in our own home, right? You show up to a hotel, and you let your crumbs fall on the floor. Don't worry about it, right? Sit on the bed, put your feet on the comforter. Got a runny nose, need to blow it, grab a clean towel, you know, just what? It's a hotel, who cares? Put it down the toilet, clog the toilet, grab another towel, eat some Cheetos on the bed, grease on your fingers, put it on the comforter, you know? You just, we just become pigs. You walk into it, don't judge me, you do it too. You're all looking at me. Need something? You just call the front desk. Like, yeah, the toilet's clogged. Um, I don't know what happened. Uh, my bedspread's dirty. I don't have a toothbrush. Could you respond to my needs while I do nothing but sit on the bedspread and watch your free cable TV? That'd be great, you know? We don't do that at home, do we? I tried that once. Sarah almost left me. I was like, honey, <laughs> deal with my business. Just I'm watching cable here. Right? You go to a hotel room, you turn the thermostat down to 58 in the middle of August, and then you leave for like eight hours just so it's cold when you walk back in. We don't treat a house like that, do we? No, we, we operate completely different in a hotel than we do in a home. Why? We have no ownership. We have no intention of staying there for very long. Some people treat a church like a hotel. You come in, you make a mess, you leave. Maybe uh, throw out a comment card at the end with some critiques. It's a little cold in there today. Well, tie, then we can pay the heat bill, you know? <laughs> people, people treat the church like a hotel and not a home. Um, how about you? Jesus never treated the church that way. He loves the church. It's his bride. It's not just a building. It's not just a servant. It's the people of God, the assembling of his people. Jesus loves those people, and he loves the church. Do you treat the, the church like a home or like a hotel? And uh, it's fun to, to make fun, you know, of like two people, but the majority of you in this room, it's incredible. Your servant heart for the local church. This church was built on the backs of servant people, people who served God by serving the local church. We planted this church with like a hundred bucks in a a Coke can and like a busted out haunted building down the street. 
People showed up. They plumbed in plumbing and they gave sacrificially. John Wakefield mowed the lawn for like two years before he even realized he was doing it, driving in from West Omaha. He's like 68 or so. Don't tell him I said that. I think he came to the nine. Amazing servant people. Amazing, amazing. If you're sitting in a chair right now, it's because someone showed up at 6 o'clock to put it there. If you ate a donut, it's because someone went to Hy-Vee this morning earlier than that to pick it up. You drank some coffee. Someone brewed that today. Your kids are learning about Jesus because someone came at 6.30, set out fishy crackers and coloring sheets and planned a program. Someone's reading the Bible to your kid and singing songs. You're hearing a sermon right now uh, through a microphone. We don't pay the guy to run the microphone. He showed up while your, your alarm hadn't even gone off yet. And he's sound checking the mic. There's no snow out here. Someone did that. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, 5 a.m., uh, Aaron and Joey, uh, Joey Craiglow show up to set the band stage up and all the equipment for the band even. I wasn't up by 5 a.m. Neither were you. If you were, it's because you're old and you don't sleep anymore. It's not because you set your alarm out of sacrifice. <laughs> My mentor, Jack, told me that. He said, you know, I used to think old people were really spiritual. They got up early and read their Bible. He said, it's just because they're old. You don't sleep in when you're old. Your body won't anymore. So... Made me feel better about not waking up till seven most days. Anyway, um, people in this church serve. It's absolutely incredible. And I just want to say thank you. And I want to say God sees that and that matters. When we serve the local church, we're serving Jesus. This week, some of you guys will clean your house. You will cook food. You will open your front door to people who were strangers six months ago so a city group can meet together and study the Bible, pray, encourage, and walk with each other and be the scattered church in our city. That matters. We serve Jesus by serving other people, and we serve Jesus by serving the local church. I think I had a third one in my notes, but for the sake of time, I'm going to keep going. Point number two, we serve God. Point number three. Uh, is this. We obey God, we serve God. Third point is we enjoy God. We enjoy God. We do this not because we're going to get a paycheck. We do this service because we love God. I wanted to name point number three, don't expect anything in return, but uh, I thought I'd highlight the positive. We get something in return. It's called God. We don't need a round of applause. We don't need a paycheck. We don't need a pat on the back or a ticker tape parade. We serve God because God, it's God. It's our great joy and privilege to serve God. That's the gift. Furthermore, it's not good for us to only be served and to never serve. We're just not built that way. You'll get depressed. Did you know that? One of the, so the year Sarah and I got married, we got to go to Jamaica. We sit at this all-inclusive resort. It was incredible. They serve you. You don't do anything. You wake up, they're like, can I brush your teeth, sir? You're like, a bit much, you know? And uh, by the way, what are you doing in my room? That's just weird. But they do everything for you. It was incredible for like three or four days. Day four and day five, I'm just like bored. I'm asking the waitress if I can serve her dinner, you know. Uh, I started remodeling the bathroom in our hotel room. I just, some new plumbing and fixtures. And I wanted to do something. Man is not made to just be served and waited on. We're, we're made to serve other people. And that is God's gift to us. Furthermore, as Christians, we do it because we love Jesus. That's it. Not expecting anything in return. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying. So if we don't serve God and then say, now you're in my debt. Now you owe me something. Now I need some blessing. I did this for you, so what are you going to do, God? No, we serve God because we get to serve God. Verse 10, I've already read it four times. I'll read it again. Here's what he says. So you also, when you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. No sense of entitlement. Isn't that incredibly countercultural? 
I believe we live in one of the most entitled generations and culture in the history of mankind, right? There's a generation rising up that's younger than me that ever since they were alive, they've just been celebrated and pumped up for doing nothing. It's like they show up to school and soccer practice, they get a trophy and a parade and a, you know, sack of candy, like, congratulations, first place. At what? You didn't do anything, right? They just show up and participate, and they get, like, trophies, so they have self-esteem, and all that's great until they're 30 and unemployed because they think the world owes them something, right? Can I just say that? We are an entitled generation, it's not self-esteem, it's ego and pride, and it's called sin. We think that everyone owes us something. Jesus says, man, Christian service, it's not like that. We don't do it for the applause. That's not the kingdom of God way. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what we do. We come in humbly. No sense of entitlement. We serve because we get to serve because we love Jesus, and it's his good gift to us. Let me give you two reasons why I think um, we serve just to enjoy God with expecting nothing in return. Uh, number one is this. Jesus is our motivation. Why are we motivated to serve God, to serve others? What's our motivation? It's not a blessing. It's not a reward. It's not a pat on the back. It's not a trophy. It's Jesus. He's our motivation. Some people wrongly think about the Christian life like this kind of weird Christianized version of karma. Karma is this idea that if you do good, good comes your way. It's not biblical at all, right? We think, well, if I love God, serve God, obey God, then only good will happen to me, and no trial, tragedy, or heartache will ever come my way. That's not true. It's called karma. That's not Christianity. Look at Jesus. He only did perfect all the time, and it got him crucified. Right? Look at the apostles. They were honest and earnest and sincere in their faith. They were faithful and fruitful in their ministry, and all but one got executed, Right? It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. If I dishonor God, I'm going to exchange my obedience for his blessings. It doesn't work that way. That's karma, not grace. What is grace? God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't put God in our debt. We could never merit his award or his goodness or his love. He gives it to us freely because he's loving, not because we're lovable. He blesses us because he's kind and generous and benevolent, not because we're blessable. He just loves to bless. God gives us what we don't deserve. It's grace, not karma. And so when we serve and love and worship God, we are not putting God in our debt as though he owes us some blessing. He blesses us because he just does. And you know what? When you walk through trial, tragedy, and heartache, it's not that God has left his blessing and taken it away from you. It's because we live in a sin-stricken, fallen, and broken world. The Bible is the one that tells us about that. And we have a God who walks us through the valley. And that is his blessing. That is his grace. We, we serve God because we get to serve God. Jesus is our motivation. Furthermore, second and last point, um, Jesus is a reward. The motivation we have to serve is Jesus, and the reward that we get for serving is Jesus. We get more of Jesus. We just, we get Jesus. Any other PGA fans out there? Any golf fans? Yeah, I love to watch golf. I rarely get to play golf anymore, but I still love to watch it. A couple years ago when the um, U.S. Senior Open came to Omaha, they played at Omaha Country Club, and I got to take my oldest son, Grady, and it was so much fun. We set up shop on the uh, 10th tee box. It was like 1,000 degrees. Do you remember? Some of you guys probably went so hot that week, and so we're dying. But we patiently waited, and sure enough, eventually, you wait long enough, we were like front row of um, the 10th tee box. And so I'm like, for me to Dominique, who's talking, I busted you in church. Just kidding. So I'm like, me to Dominique from like 
Tom Watson, Freddie Couple. I'm watching these living legends right in front of me teeing off. It was absolutely incredible. Just to be in the presence of greatness, I was having a great time. It was 1,000 degrees. I didn't care. Did you know that the PGA, um, the PGA Tour staff is almost entirely volunteer? I looked it up. In the 2016 PGA Tour season, there are 2,200 PGA volunteers. These guys don't just um, work for free. They actually pay money to travel with the tour, to put up their own lodging, to pay for their own food. Why? Because they get to hang out with Bubba Watson and, and, and Jordan and Rory and Tiger and watch these amazing men play. It's incredible. They don't need a paycheck. They'll pay just to get to be in the press. I would do it too if I didn't have kids, a job, and responsibility, and bills, and I'll probably never do it. But I, if, I, if I could, I'd be a PGA Tour volunteer just to hang out with Bubba and watch him tee off. That's absolutely incredible. City Light Church, we obey God's commands. We serve God not to get something from God. We serve God because we get to be with God. God is our reward God is amazing. Yes, he blesses us. Yes, he's good to us. Yes, we get treasures in heaven. But greater than all of that, we get God in heaven. He is the source of all good. Our reward isn't a pat on the back. It's it's God. He is eternally magnificent, glorious, incredible, unlike any other, in a category unto himself. And because of Jesus Christ, we can know him and be with him and experience him, starting now and for all of eternity. Listen to Psalm 84, verse 10. This is true. It says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather be a servant in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of of wickedness. Listen to Psalm 1611. It says, You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You want joy? You want pleasure? Get with God. Serve God. He is our joy. He is our pleasure. And on that last day when we see God face to face, we aren't going to say, Where's my thank you card? Where's my pat on the back? I want a parade and a high five and a trophy. No, we are going to be jaw dropped, knees bent, hands up, awestruck, worship at God. We won't be able to look away. We'll get a taste and we'll be sucked in and it's called worship. He's the only eternally good being that can satisfy all of our affections for all of eternity and we'll never get bored. We'll never get tired of learning something new. If you think heaven is boring, you have a small view of God. If heaven was about your thank you party, you'd get bored in a year. But for all of eternity, we will worship God and never be any less filled with joy, any less filled with awe, any less filled with pleasure and wonder because of God. City Light, we we serve God because God, God, he's incredible and we get to serve him. And serving God is a joy unlike any other city light. I want us to be a church that knows this God, that cherishes this God, that doesn't serve this God begrudgingly out of duty or trite religious obedience because it is our great joy. That when we obey God, we would be able to say with all sincerity, it is my pleasure to obey God. When we serve God and serve other people and serve the local church, that we would be able to say with honest, integrity, sincerity, it is my pleasure to serve. 
And then on that last day, when we finally get to see God face to face, we would look him in the eye and say, God, you are my pleasure. You are my joy. You are my satisfaction. City Light, my dream for us as a church family, in 100 years, we're all dead and gone. But in 100 years, I want the city of Omaha and the state of Nebraska and every sphere that we touch to be better because we are here. No one will remember the name of this church. You and I will be long forgotten, but I want to leave behind a better world. Why? Because we have served it selflessly and faithfully and diligently, often anonymously, to lay down our lives because we have a God who has come to serve us. City Light, would serving be our greatest and highest pleasure? Let's pray. Jesus, it blows our mind to think about eternal God, Jesus Christ, you coming to this earth, and you didn't come with a crown, you didn't come for the parade, you didn't come for the applause, you showed up in a manger in the middle of nowhere to a bunch of nobodies. You left glory to come and serve. Your whole life you got blisters working with wood, and on your last day you were nailed to a wooden cross to atone for our sins, to serve us that you might take away our sins and our guilt and our shame to serve us, that you might rise again in glory and part your Holy Spirit to serve us. Oh, God, may that blow us away. God, may service never be this thing that we begrudgedly do. Would it be our privilege, honestly, would it be our privilege to lay down our life for others, to lay down our life for the local church, to lay down our lives for you, because we know that on that last day, you alone will be our privilege and our joy. Oh God, would you create that in us? And we know it starts with worship. It starts with adoring you. And so even now as we sing and as we celebrate, would you enlarge our hearts, enlarge our minds, enlarge our realization of who you are. We pray in Jesus' good and servant name. Amen.